Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining. Uh, Chris, welcome. Thanks for joining as well. So, Thank you very much. Yeah, folks, as you all remember, we have been uh, doing this behavior modification series. And today's component is Be Transformed. So let's dive into this. And uh, Chris, I'll uh, hand it over to you. Very good. Awesome. All right, be transformed. The behavior modification being transformed. What does be transformed mean? Be transformed, in essence, just means to be to change from one state to another state. Um, in this, in reference to here, in reference to us, we're thinking about Romans 12, 12 2, which says, do not conform to the pattern of, pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The transformation process that we're going to be looking at today is we're going to be talking about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. First and foremost, we need to understand that we need to not conform to the ways of the world, the things that the world does, um, things that the world believes in, the things that the world uh, promotes, um, things of even the things that we used to promote or engage in as far as the, the habitual sins. Well, myself, I used to be a drug addict. Another issue of my, of my uh, development is uh, learning how to not be angry all the time. Or even in so much, not so much the not be angry part, but to not get um, over um, overzealous with my anger uh, to where my temper uh, creates a problem for myself, my wife, or others, my even coworkers or others in my life. I need to be learned to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. In this process, there's a promise that comes with it. it says then. When you aren't, when you do not conform to the pattern of the world, and you are transformed by the renewing your mind, then you will be able. It doesn't say you may be. It doesn't say you might be. It says you will be able to test and approve what God's will is for your life, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Isn't that an awesome uh, promise, Sal? That God wants it us is. to know these things. Yeah. He wants us to know what His good, pleasing, and perfect will is. A pastor. A, friend of mine, actually a chaplain, a mentor in the past, told me a statement one time. He says the um, that God wants me to know what he wants me to know more than I want to know what I want, what he wants me to know. Let me repeat that and reference it to you. God wants you to know what he wants you to know more than you want to know what he wants you to know. Isn't that, a, isn't that an interesting concept? is that God really wants us to know these things. He wants us to know what is good and pleasing and perfect will is. So he tells us right here, two simple steps. Don't do the things of the world. Don't do these things that you used to do, but do be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's how you learn to not do the things that you used to by the transformation and the renewing of your mind. The key here is that the, the mind initiates behavior. Behavior doesn't initiate the, the the actions of the mind. It doesn't say in the scripture, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your behavior. It says by the renewing of your mind. 
the mind is what functions and creates the or initiates the behavior of the individual. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's easy to change our behaviors. But one thing that is definitely absolutely certain. Let's see. I think I missed something. Well, there's supposed to be another link in here, but it says that the, uh, the, the behavior takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. Does behavior change? Sometimes you can stop it immediately. For instance, when I stopped doing drugs, I stopped immediately. The other behaviors of my working on my temper, that's over a process of, of time. It takes time to do that. Um, it, it, because situations always come up or circumstances always happen in my life that put me in a situation to react. And I'm not really very good yet with the transformation of my mind and renewing myself and not conforming to the way that I used to and instead conform the way God wants me to. So it's a process that I need to be patient with. We're going to talk about that later. Behavior modification is contingent upon a couple of things. So yes. number one, recognizing the problematic behaviors. There's issues in our life. There's problematic behaviors. There's behaviors that create a conflict in our life, whether it's our temper, whether it's drugs, whether it's pornography, whether it's uh, pride, arrogance. All these things create problems for us in our life. And the problem with that is that we become so accustomed to these behaviors that we don't even really know that they're happening. I was working as a chaplain at, uh, at a drug rehabilitation center. And I was monitoring the front desk one time, and right out beyond um, the front desk was the TV room. And one of the clients was sitting watching TV. And through the course of him watching TV, I sit there and witnessed him using curse words uh, on numerous occasions in less than a five-minute span of time, nearly almost 12 times, using the same wow. curse word. And when I challenged him on it, he said he didn't do it. He didn't do it. I didn't do it. I says, look, I says, you get so accustomed to your behaviors that you don't even know that you're doing them. This is yes. the same thing with all of us. Same thing with him. He didn't even realize he was doing what he was doing. And the same and, thing is Chris, we become yeah. so comfortable to being prideful or we become so comfortable or accustomed to doing things uh, with our drug addiction and the things that come out of addiction uh, as well. We don't even know. So we got to recognize that there's a problematic behavior in our life before we can. Yeah, what I, what I was going to say is that sometimes we don't recognize it, but the other people who we interact with, they recognize it and they point it out to us. Well, you know, that, that <laughs> in an ideal setting, yes, that would be a good thing. But people, yeah. people don't do don't do that in the Christian world. This should be the this should be the norm. In a Christian relationship, my relationship with you, with other Christians, we should always challenge one another in our behaviors. And a lot of people come in mind, what they say is, oh, you can't judge me. The Bible says, thou shalt not judge. Well, you know, there's two different times that word judge is being used in the scriptures. One time by Jesus, when he says it, thou shalt not but judge, lest you be judged. Another time, the apostle Paul says, hey, don't judge, you know, are we not to judge our brothers? And so the difference between the two is when I say, don't judge me, what, or when Jesus said that, what he's talking about is, is uh, not to take the office of a judge or one who proclaims sentence upon. 
Okay. Now the mm -hmm. apostle Paul, on the other hand, when he used the word, am I not to judge my brothers? He's not using it in the form of condemnation or creating a sentence or, or taking the office of a judge upon someone else. He's just saying in, in translation from the Greek is that, am I not to discern the actions of now I used to have a drug problem. If and a, and a drinking problem, and Sal, if I ever start drinking again, and you see me by chance with the at the wing stop, and I'm having a beer with my wings, you know, it's, it's something that I would like to do. But if you see me, I would expect you to challenge me on that behavior. Yes, in the Christian world, that is. In the other, yes. in, the, in the world as it is, generally speaking, people don't do that because it's acceptable. People, you know, they, they understand it's acceptable, but something like that is not acceptable in my life. And therefore, I would expect you to make the challenge. So true. What you're saying in, in, in the Christian realm, that should be the model. But it's not always the case. Unfortunately, this is what is understand uh, to uh, what's really important about developing relationships with people in your church or Bible studies or whatnot. Um, so that they can hold you accountable and vice versa, so that I can hold you accountable for our, our actions. Yes. All for the glory of God. That's right. That's right. So taking ownership and responsibility is, uh, is another thing that, be, that we need to take, uh, recognize. After we recognize our problematic behaviors, we need to take ownership of it. Okay, Yes. You know, for the longest time, I said, oh, I'm not a drug addict. I'm not a drug addict. I was in denial. I was a drug addict. I would steal. I would lie. I would manipulate. I would do all kinds of things in a manner of evils to, to, to get. And what I wanted was the drugs. When I finally got into recovery, I had to take ownership of this behavior. And then I had to take responsibility for it. Taking ownership is one thing. Taking responsibility for it is something else. Responsibility entails a couple of different things. One, you got to recognize, you got to take responsibility for the problem, saying, hey, this is my, this, I take ownership of this and I take responsibility for the problem. You know, I want to do something about it. So, what do we do about it? We, first and foremost, the most important thing is to develop the motivation to change. You know, for 20 years, I was a drug addict, Sal. And I wasn't motivated to change. I wanted to change, but I wasn't motivated to change until the consequence of my actions no longer became acceptable to me. Then I gained the motivation to make the change. But until that time, I had absolutely no desire or even willingness, even though in, in my mind, I said, I, got, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep doing this. I really didn't have the motivation to change because I just thought really for the most part that like the world says, once an addict, always an addict. I believe this. And so you just get that in your mind and say, it's, it's no hope. There's no hope for this. I want to stay this way the rest of my life. What's the point? And we yeah, so that's a very important point you're, make, you're making, Chris. So at what point did you recognize that, yes, now you had to change? Did something happen that caused you to develop that motivation to change. Yes, absolutely, Sal. What happened with me is I had a nervous breakdown. I was uh, I had a numerous circumstances in my life that were bringing my my life as I understood it to an end. I lost my job. I lost my vehicle that was imperative to have for the use of uh, carrying tools and whatnot for my job. 
So I couldn't get more work because I didn't have the vehicle. I was I was about to lose my apartment. I had already lost my friends. I had already just, a year prior lost my wife. I was losing everything, everything yeah. I was losing. And so I, I, I felt this nervous breakdown coming on. I called my, my ex-wife and I said, I, you need to send somebody to come get me. And so they, they uh, sent the son to come get me. I went to their house and then my my second ex-wife brought over the kids, my kids, to my ex-wife's house. She spent the day with my, my kids. And what that did is that was broke the ice on this nervous breakdown is that now everything was taken away from me and my kids. And so right. by seeing somebody else with my kids, that sent me over the edge. I ended up going into a psychiatric unit. And then from there, I, uh, I realized um, that uh, I had a problem then and I wanted to fix it. And I had a, I had an encounter with God in the psychiatric unit where I was singing a song by Amy Grant that I really like. And after I sang that song, God spoke to my heart and he says, sell everything you have, be a volunteer at the Salvation Army. I was in tears, Sal. I was so, I was so relieved that God somehow through this song, through my circumstances, heard my cry. I didn't even know I was crying out. But he heard my cry and I heard him say this to me. And I said, okay, Lord, in tears. I said, okay, I'll do it. And this from that point on, 18 and a half years ago, my life has never been the same. That's very powerful, Chris. That is. And thank you for sharing that. And sometimes, and this is important for our listeners, because sometimes you have to hit rock bottom to recognize that enough is enough and to make a new beginning. Uh, I, I went through that as well. For years, I was running behind the wrong things, money, the title, the fame, the conspicuous symbols of success at the expense of everything else. But you sometimes hit complete rock bottom before you recognize and you take ownership that if I don't change now, it's all over. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Um, I had to had to make them had to make the move. I had to recognize the need and make the move, which brings us to the next point. We need to develop and take responsibility for we need to take ownership and responsibility yes. for an action plan. Gratefully, God gave me the action plan when I was going about ready to get sober. He says, sell everything you have, be a volunteer at Salvation Army. All you do is follow those instructions. I'm going to be honest yeah. now. I'm going to be honest about something. When I yeah, sold please. what I had, I used the drugs again. I used drugs again. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, it's just what drug addicts, I just want to say this is what drug addicts do. But um, it's not something I'm proud of. But um, it, the motivation was still there. I, I did it because I had it. And I didn't know what else to do with the money. So, you know, I, I, make it, I can make all kinds of excuses. But I did. I used it again. But I followed, I followed through with the action plan. I went back to church, talked to the leadership, um, I was, which was the Salvation Army. Um, told them I, uh, what, my, what the plan was that God gave to me. They, they approved and, and supported me in that plan. And so um, the next thing that's really important with an action plan is that we need to, this action plan includes implementation. I can't just say yes. I'm going to do this. 
and then not do it. I'm not going to write it all out on a piece of paper and set it on my desk to collect dust along with my Bible. Okay? It doesn't work like that. My action plan had to include implementation. That following Sunday, I went back to church. That was a, a Friday um, that I had that encounter with God. That following Sunday, I went into the church and I talked to the pastors. And then that time, there, you know, I, I opened myself up to the need and I, I held myself accountable to them. And they, from that point on, they made sure that they kept me accountable for my action, for my action plan and the things that I needed to do. And this is where I think the uh, the next message is what I thought came in. Takes time. This yeah. process takes time. Now, taking ownership, taking responsibility, these things can all be immediate. But as far as the process of behavioral change, that's a process. It takes time. And we need to be patient with ourselves, what I'm going to talk more about in just a few minutes. Yeah. Also, Chris, when you are going through the process of implementing, how critical is it for you to have an accountability partner and somebody that makes sure that is checking up on you, is wanting to understand how you're doing and is regularly walking by your side. That's an important factor. You know, the Bible says that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. Who can know it? Only God can know it, really, for the most part. And if I'm not holding myself accountable to somebody else, whether it be God or, you know, really somebody in the flesh, um, I can deceive myself. I can change my plans. I can I can take my time. I can manipulate circumstances. You know, I can keep using drugs again, with making other people believe that I'm doing fine and I'm not. Well, I had a, a chaplain. Not only did I have my pastors at Salvation Army, but I had a chaplain that I really was really close to uh, during this time. And uh, he, he would hold me accountable to everything. I would constantly go and talk to him about anything that I needed to talk about. And he would hold me accountable to, you know, he, he would never tell me what to do. He would always ask me what I would, what I thought God wanted me to do. And then, and then if, if, of course he believed that that was in line with the scripture, what the word of God said, then he says, well, do it. If this is what you believe God is leading you to do, then do it. And then he told me accountable to it. As a matter of fact, uh, even his wife one time, this is a, a funny story, but uh, she had she had said something to me that was um, that I didn't like. It made me angry, and I ended up stop. I ended up discontinuing my relationship. I curtailed my relationship with this with his wife for two years. I didn't talk to her for two years intentionally because I was angry. And then two years later, when God finally spoke to my my heart about the situation, I was convicted and I went back to her and apologized. But see how we can do this is that we can make we can make we can justify all kinds of things within our own mind. But when it comes down to the bottom line of things, God God number one will remind you of the things that he, you need to know, um, and then He'll use the uh, the purple in your life to be able to make a, a plan and, and hold to it. So. There's a simple plan, and there's a lot of studies now about behavior modification and how uh, behavior can be influenced by circumstances and and the, the the result of circumstances. And this simple plan really 
the first thing that we want to look at is circumstances in our life. We have a positive and a negative. On the left, positive. On the right, a negative. Any The circumstances in our life can be one or the other. They can be even a combination of both, really. Um, but generally speaking, we have absolutely no, con no control over the circumstances. And this, in the behavior modification process, we have to understand this principle is that the circumstances in our life, we have no control over most of the time. And so what we have to do is, first and foremost, accept the reality of those circumstances as they are, positive or negative, accept them as they are, and then move forward. And how do we move forward? The next step is perception. What I'm going to what I'm going to share with you now is a process of behavioral change, and it starts with a perception how we perceive things, and the perception really is defined by how our mind is or how we see things through our eyes and then make sense of them in what's the, the next step, but how we perceive things. Now, somebody with a Christian upbringing might perceive a situation different than somebody without a Christian upbringing. Uh, some people in one culture might perceive something in one way that somebody in a different culture may not see at all in, in that light. Take, for instance, you got an accident at an intersection. You got... One person standing on the corner. You've got another car behind the other car that had the accident. you got another car over here. So you got two cars and a person, uh, a pedestrian, that witnessed this accident. The police are going to ask all three of these people what they saw. And each person may come up with a different story, a different perception of how they saw the accident. And, and that doesn't mean that any one of them is right. It doesn't mean that any one of them is wrong. What the police do is they take these perceptions, all three of them, and they put them together and they utilize the, that information to make a logical assessment of the situation. Who was right, who was in the wrong, etc. So perception can be altered on many different, uh, many different scopes uh, or spectrums. But uh, perception, how we see things, is the first part of a situation. The next part is interpretation. Interpretation is the processing on our mind that makes sense out of the situation that we saw or the circumstance, positive or negative. The interpretation is what gives us the understanding of the, situ of the situation that helps us formulate a judgment in our mind about the circumstances. It can be positive or it can be negative. Next, we get we, we have an attitude. Our perception, if it's positive, or let me put it this way, if our perception starts out in a negative, it's automatically, science has already discovered this, that if our perception is negative, it's automatically going to produce a negative interpretation, which will automatically produce a negative attitude. In the same way, Sal, if a positive perception develops first, then a positive interpretation will come from it and positive attitude will result in this in, in our circumstances, whatever they may be. I use this example, and this may be kind of extreme, but let's say a guy sees his girlfriend sleeping with somebody else. 
let's say his best friend. He walks in the bedroom. They're there in the bedroom in the bed together. Immediately, the normal reaction would be a negative perception of what you see. You see your boyfriend, your best friend, and your girlfriend in bed together. That interpretation will automatically that negative perception will automatically create a negative interpretation and a negative attitude immediately from zero to 60 a hot second i'm telling you this process will happen what will end up happening in this particular scenario is that you end up with a negative behavior right your perception creates the interpretation the interpretation creates the attitude anger rage now some people might want to beat the daylights out of the the boyfriend first and start screaming and hollering at his girlfriend. This is the this is the reaction to the attitude based on the you know the behavior of based on the attitude interpretation and perception of the situation, all in a negative. Now let me give you the same scenario, looking at it from the sense of the positive. Boyfriend and girlfriend are sleeping together. I walk into the room, and I see. My perception, as I, I I see it for what it is, two people having sex or doing whatever they're doing, my interpretation of it is going to be, you know, from the positive, is going to be, wow, Lord, thank you for showing me their true colors. See, so, yeah, I've created from a what, virtually negative circumstance, I perceived and interpreted the situation in a positive way, my attitude Though I may be hurt, though I may be angry, my attitude is going to turn and walk away. And then my behavior is going to just say, thank you, Lord, for showing me the true colors of these two people. And then move on with my life. Yeah. You can see in the two different scenarios, exact, you know, the same scenario. One behavior, your perception, if it's positive, will automatically produce a positive interpretation, positive attitude, and positive behavior, or the vice versa, all negative. It's up to me. What do I want to do? Yeah, and this isn't this the foundation, Chris, of cognitive behavioral therapy, which says if you want to change your behavior, change your thoughts, which will drive your feelings and your attitude, right? Absolutely. That's exactly where cognitive behavior therapy came from, from these studies. Yes, this is easier said than done, Sal. Oh, yeah. Easier said than done. Well, at least the individual would like to say so. Let me tell you something, Sal. This is not this is not an easier said than done issue. This is a, a this is a you need to do or else the consequences will be different issue. It's not an easier said than done. If you don't do this, you won't get the good results. If you continue to do the negative. You'll continue to reap the negative in your attitude and your behavior. If you continue to do the positive, you'll reap the positive attitude and positive behavior in the circumstances. This is yes. behavior modification at its best. The other but, thing I want to mention here, Chris, uh, and, and this is a thank you for sharing this, because some people may think that this is only applicable in your personal life. Uh, but that's not the case, right? This is as relevant in your work life as in your personal life. And, you know, at Maximize You, you know, we, we, we talk about maximizing potential and transforming for a balanced, happier and impactful life. 
you can transform, but in order to transform, it starts with your thought, it starts with your attitude, your perception, your interpretation, which in turn drives your behavior. So you have to tackle the, the root of the problem, which is not necessarily the behavior, but you go further upstream and you figure out how are you thinking based on your perception of reality. Right, exactly. And there's a way that we can work on this. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 8 says this, The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Now, you're looking at this picture on this screen, and you see a long road. What do you really, if, if you've got a circumstance in your life, and you're looking at this path before you, listen, this, I don't know about you, Sal, but this doesn't look like a very comforting road to me. It looks like it's very long. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it's it's very flat. It looks like it's very hot. Um, it looks like it's very lonely. And the only thing I can see is besides a very long walk on a on a asphalt concrete or asphalt road that's probably steaming hot is the mountains in the future. So not only do I get to go through this process in the heat alone, I got to go through the mountains. <laughs> In order to get past this situation, I got to get through the mountains as well. This is just what my mind says when I see this picture. And in the end of a matter is better than its beginning. I'm not seeing that that's very true by looking at this picture. And patience is better than pride. I'm not seeing that by looking at this picture. So before we break this down, this verse down, I want to talk about something. Thomas Merton is a Catholic, uh, Catholic priest our monk, actually, he said this. He said, Lord, my Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think that I am following and your will does not mean that I am actually doing so, but I believe that desire that I desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope I have that will, that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that in that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, thought through, though I am, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem lost. And in the shadow of death, I will not fear you are forever, for you are forever with me, and you will never leave me to face my trouble alone. The thing about heading down this path, this end of a matter is better than this beginning path, is to know that I'm not going through this by myself. That God is with me. Now, if I want to bring other people in into my life, accountability partners, mentors, my wife, uh, or our close friends, then that just strengthens the process and it helps right. me in this process. But I just like this what Thomas Merton had said. He really, he was really clueless about where he is going, but he trusted God regardless, knowing that he was there in all his troubles. Yes. What we have here in Ecclesiastes 7, they, we want to talk about a, a pathway. The, the scripture says the beginning is better than the end. 
Okay? The scripture says the beginning is better than the end. And over here, you just saw a white dot bounce before us. Let me move this down or up. This white dot signifies the end of the matter. This, this signifies whatever it is that manifests at the end of the matter. I don't know what that end of the matter is. You know, quite frankly, Sal, whatever happens at the end of the matter is none of my business. That's God's business because he's the only one that can say that with certainty that the end of the matter is going to be beginning because he knows what's going to happen at the end of the matter already. I don't know. I just have to trust that whatever is going to be at the end of the matter is going to be better than beginning. For instance, I had to go to jail. And this scripture is what God gave me before I had to go to jail. I had to turn myself in for a 20-year-old felony fugitive warrant. And he gave me this scripture. And I, I was looking at two and a half to five years in prison. I got out in 19 days. I had absolutely no idea what this little white dot at the end of the matter was going to be. I had no idea what was going to manifest at the end of the matter. All I knew is that God said the end was going to be better than the beginning. Listen, Sal, if I had to go for all five years in prison, the end would have still been bad, better than the beginning because now I wouldn't have to look behind me anymore at the police all the time being worried I was going to get stopped and hooked up on this felony fugitive warrant. The end of the matter yeah. was definitely most better is better than the beginning, whether it's five years or 19 days. By God's grace, I got out in 19 days. The end of the matter was definitely beginning. But what I really want to focus on is the process in between. What does that entail? There's me at the right in the beginning of the matter. Whatever my circumstances is, these people, whoever's listening to this video, that's you. The end of the beginning of the matter. Whatever your circumstances is, there you are running along through the to the race of life, just having absolutely no idea which way you're going. But you know you got to go forward. You got to get to the end of the matter. This process we call the process of life. From the beginning to the end, no matter what the circumstances are, we got to go through this process of life. How do we get through that process of life, Sal? What we got to do is we got to be patient. The second part of that verse says that patience is better than pride. The end is better than the beginning, but patience is better than pride. Listen, if we're prideful, this isn't going to work out. We need to be patient with the process that's before us. Mm -hmm. What does this entail? The circumstances. We got to be patient with the circumstances. Remember, we, the circumstances are beyond our control. We have to be patient with the circumstances. We have to be patient with others in the circumstances. Oftentimes, our circumstances involve others. Sometimes, people that are close to us. We have to be patient yes. with others. We have to be patient with ourselves. You know, and this is really important because, first of all. We have to be patient with others. What's really important about it is because we always want to tend to blame somebody else for our circumstances. Well, once we come to the realization that, you know what, there's, there's some element of myself involved in these circumstances. Somehow I played a role in the circumstances. And so once I accept and be patient with others, I need to take responsibility for myself. And I need to be patient with myself. Knowing full well that I'm a sinner, I'm saved by grace, no doubt, but that doesn't mean I'm perfect. And then I have to be patient as I go through this process. And the biggest key of all is we have to be patient with God. 
Okay. Yes. Let me let me share something with you with regard to circumstances, self, and others. Luke chapter 12, verse 25 and 26 says this, and I love this, especially the second verse. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Listen to this, Sal. Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Well, isn't this funny? God, in the scripture, Jesus is talking, he says, since you can't even fix or since you can't even change or add an hour of your life. Now, I don't know about you, Sal, but can you add an hour of your life outside of daylight savings time? No. No, absolutely not. Jesus is so funny. He calls that a very little thing. Isn't that right? This is a very little thing. And he says, if you can't even do this small thing, what makes you think you can do these other things that are more grand in scale? Don't kid yourself, okay? Stop worrying about these little things. Stop worrying about this process of life here, Sal. We have to stop worrying about these things. Circumstances, others, self, and God. Let's see what it says about God. Psalm 46, 1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Now, this is one verse, very short, but it says a, a volume. He's our refuge. This is where we go to when we need help, when we need protection. We go to God. He's our refuge, and he's our strength in an ever-present time of help. We need help. He knows we need help, and he's there for us, ready to help us in our time of trouble. This is imperative. This is how this process goes. So first we have to remember, again, recapping, the end of the matter is none of our business. Stop worrying about it. Yes, God has said it. Let's just believe it. And let's go through the process. But let's go through the process of life patiently, patient with circumstances, others, and ourselves, because we know we can't change it. Right. But we got God who helps us in a time of trouble. God helps us. Now, of course, in my tempers, I, I need to recognize and take ownership and responsibility for that. But I want to tell you what, if it weren't for God, I wouldn't even know in the first place how to fix that problem. Wouldn't even know. The word of God teaches me how to do that. First and foremost, when I'm in a trouble, go to God. He's my refuge. He's my strength. He's my present help in the time of trouble. And this process here is how we be, our behavior modification process and our thinking changes. Okay, in our process of life, stop blaming, you know, we stop stressing and, and dwelling on the circumstances. Be patient with it. Stop stressing over other people involved in the circumstances. We can't change them. All we can do is accept them. Even if this, even if somebody else is, is the, the fault of the circumstance, we still got to yes. be patient with them. Be patient with ourselves in the circumstances, because as soon as I rear up my stinky head and get prideful and angry and so self-consumed about somebody else's behavior in a circumstance, then I've entered into the negative circumstance myself. I need to be patient with that. I need to be patient with myself and see myself and take ownership and responsibility for who I am and allow God to walk me through my troubles. Yeah, and Chris, as I'm hearing this, I, I'm remembering where it says, trust in the Lord with all and everything and do not depend on your own understanding. Exactly. And that was, that was funny. I was actually going to put that scripture in here, 
but it's 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 it, it really it's it's true through this process we stop we need to stop trusting our own understanding because our own understanding will blame the circuit will blame the circumstance blame others not take responsibility for ourselves just like adam and eve did in the garden they didn't take responsibility for themselves they want to blame god or blame the, the, each other or the serpent they don't want to take responsibility well we need to learn to may, uh, be able to change that now one thing i want to say about this process to people to whoever's listening to this video Stop praying to get out of your circumstances. Did you hear me? Let me say it again. Stop praying to get out of your circumstances. God never allowed or God didn't instruct David to get to uh, when he was facing Goliath. He didn't. David didn't pray to get out of the circumstances. David faced his Goliath, this giant, head on, head on. He went to battle head on, but who was there with him? God was. David, he didn't pray in the lion's den to have his circumstances be, be changed. David didn't do that. He didn't try to pray away the lions. He didn't try to pray away his circumstances. He went into the den of lions. And who was there with him? God was with him. Yes. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't pray away the fire. They went into the fire. But who was the fourth person in the fire with them? The Lord. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now listen, Jesus says he didn't want to do this. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross because he knew the torture and the physical agony that was going to be ahead of him. He didn't want to do it. I wouldn't want to do it. But he said, not my will, Father, but your will. What was he doing? He was invoking the will of God. He was invoking the power and the strength of God in his circumstances. Just like, uh, just like God says to us to take refuge and, and strength in, in God, for he's your ever-present help in, in trouble. The same is true with Jesus. God was his ever-present help in the time of trouble, and he trusted him. He didn't pray away his circumstances. Psalm 138, we're going to give a couple of scriptures, and we're going to close. It says, though I walk in the midst of trouble... You, God, you preserve my life. This is the mindset that we need to learn, okay? This transformation of the mind is to know that even in the midst of whatever we're going through, God will preserve my life. Again, Psalm 23 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. God, my Lord, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Not some of the days, Sal, not most of the days, all the days his mercy and his goodness will follow me and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. What a promise. Yeah. And my favorite scripture, I didn't want to put it up here. I want to say this. In Joe, John, uh, John chapter, or James chapter one, starting in verse two, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work, making it mature, complete, not lacking anything. This process here, Sal. Is when we go through circumstances to consider it joy. 
Now, that doesn't mean we have to be joyful about the circumstances, that we have to internalize joy within ourselves, okay, which is a fruit of the Spirit. We have to call on the fruit of the Spirit to bring that joy that we possess out in our circumstances. And what's going to happen? Our, our we're going to persevere. It's going to be made complete. We're going to become mature, complete, not lacking anything. What a promise. Oh, my goodness. What a promise. Listen, yeah. all I have to do is be joyful in circumstances, call upon the name of the Lord to have a spirit, when a spirit is in me, to really trust in the joy that is there, to exude itself, and then to go through this process. And I come out a winner every time. And God is not unfaithful. He's faithful. Even when we're unfaithful, he'll remain faithful. Yeah, and you know, Chris, this is uh, this is so awesome because I was just reading uh, that footprints today, and oh, wow. it yeah, and it talks about right where a person is looking back at his life and he sees at his lowest points of his life when he went through the toughest times, there was only one set of footprints in the sand. And then he asks God that, hey, God, how come? You always told me that you'd be there with me, walking with me. But when I was at my lowest, I only see one footprint. Where were you then? And then God tells him, you child, child of God, I was the one who was actually carrying you. And that's why you only see one footprint and not two, because I was holding you in my arms and walking and taking you to the other side. How powerful that is. It's very powerful. Such a blessing to know that God right. will do that for us, with us. It'll carry yes. us through the trials every time. That's what he says in the scriptures numerous times. There's not enough video. There's not enough slides on this PowerPoint to put all those scriptures on. But it's yes. true. And it's true. And the thing about this, Sal, is that we'll never know unless we put it into practice. We'll never know. Yeah. And so whoever's listening to this video, I implore you, put this to the test. I have. God has given me this knowledge and wisdom throughout my life. And it has developed for me a moral code for the way I live. Now, I'm not an authority in the word of God, Sal. I'm not an authority. I know a lot of scripture. I know how to make application of scripture. But this moral code that God has given to me is a moral code for me. And it's so powerful. I have realized how powerful and affirming it is in my own life that I want somebody else to know. Yeah. I want somebody else to know how to be able to modify their behavior and to change. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. God. And I think the first step is to trust in him, to recognize that the end is going to be better than the beginning, to be patient, to take ownership, don't make excuses. Stop blaming right. the other person. Stop blaming the circumstances. Oh, I didn't do this because the economy was bad or my boss was bad or that customer was a problem. Uh, we can make all kinds of excuses. Don't do okay. that. Take ownership, accept. And like you showed in that diagram, just move forward on the process of life. Right. God will bring out the end of the matter and it will be better. And if one thing I didn't mention, he didn't say it's going to be perfect at the end of the matter. He didn't even say it was going to be the way you want it. But he did say it's going to be better. 
And I don't know about you, but my scale of better and God's scale of better is night and day different. <laughs> I've proven yes. it over and over again. I think I'd really just rather trust in God, go through the process with patience and then trust that he's going to bring it out. Whatever the outcome is, whatever the manifestation of the end of the matter it is, it's going to be better. Just like God, you know, sometimes better for God will be absolutely amazing and, bl and blow our mind. We couldn't comprehend it. I mean, if God would tell us all the things that were going to happen, it now, you know, I don't know if we could handle it. So he allowed yeah. us to wait until the end of the matter. And so, so, so what is the toughest challenge, Chris, to actually implement this philosophy, in your opinion? What is the biggest stumbling block that trips us over? I think the biggest stumbling block for, for myself, and I could probably say this for most people, is that when I make mistakes, uh, when I make bad decisions, when I fall back into sin, is not to allow that to uh, hang, not to allow that burden to hang over me, but just to bring it to God. He, I mean, it's not like God is surprised when I make a mistake. It's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that, Chris. I can't, how, did, how could you do that? He's just, I don't think that's how God is. God just kind of, I would imagine that I see God like sitting up there with Jesus and the Holy Spirit saying, hey, watch this. Before the situation happens, he's like, hey, Jesus, Holy Spirit, watch this. Watch what Chris does. Watch this. And then they sit there and watch it and they start laughing because it's just, they're like, oh, there he goes again. There he goes again. Mm. Oh, there he goes again. Well, he's done that before. It's 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 probably kind of sadly comical to them. Yes, he's not surprised. So I, I shouldn't be. I shouldn't make that a burden upon myself. Scripture says, "Do not uh, that I uh, there is now therefore now condemnation for those who are in yeah. Christ, for those who are called according to His purpose." If you're in Christ and if you're called according to his purpose and you're following this action plan uh, that God has set before you, don't condemn yourself. God doesn't. There is therefore now no condemnation, not from you, not from God, and not from others. Stop this process in the mind thinking that you're going to hell just because you make a mistake. Listen, you're clothed. You're, 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 you're redeemed. God, it wants you to make the right decisions. He'll help you. His Holy Spirit is there for you. It's just yeah. a matter of not allowing the um, circumstances to take the best of you. And you know, Chris, I'm thinking as you shared this, you know, this Saturday at the Bible study, we talked about the importance role of friendship in a marriage. And it became, uh, uh, we, we listened to the video and we had a conversation and one of the brothers uh, became very emotional and actually very vulnerable and shared with the group as to how you know he 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 realized and found out that his spouse was cheating on him and and as a result of that how it hurt him and then he stopped trusting people and it was a very uh, it was a very tender moment but the point is that you don't have to walk on the path alone, man was not meant to be alone. So surround yourself with a couple of brothers that are vested in your success that will help you walk through that process of life and go through that difficult road and get through the mountains. You don't have to do it alone. Of course, God is there with you, but also seek the support of 
a couple of other folks that will go with you and help you do that right and 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 you know when 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 uh when that person mentioned that right after the sermon i know a couple of brothers went up to him and told him and encouraged him and that makes your load lighter it's not going to change it but it it gives you strength that you're not alone and you're there with others so it's so important to surround yourself with the right people absolutely absolutely this is one of the reasons why i've i've changed uh, my whole um, my social life you know i don't i never really i don't i'm like that same guy i don't trust people uh, you know yeah. and i've been given every reason not to trust people of course but i've also given every reason for people not to trust me either you know uh, but i need i'm learning that i need the the men in, in my life i need men in my life to hold me accountable um and um and so this is yes. what i'm doing i'm reaching out and i'm developing some really close relationships and absolutely uh, so because I, I need them i need them yeah and that's why you know whether it's a small group or a real life group or you meet somebody for coffee or a couple of folks, whatever it is, right? It doesn't have to be this huge formalized, organized system. Just surround yourself with the right people. Surround yourself with God's word. Remind yourself that you're not the only one. We all go through difficult times. You know, I remember there was a time when I had this huge fear of failure and every time things wouldn't go my way, I would spiral into this huge anxiety and stress and depression. And of course, when I was going through that, I felt that the whole world was collapsing and only I was the one who was going through it. When I realized after talking to a few people, and this takes courage because being vulnerable and sharing instead of saying, yeah, everything's fine. But when you actually share what is really going on. It takes courage. Vulnerability is not a sign of weakness. It takes immense strength and courage to do that. But when you do that with the right people, the load is lifted from you and you realize that you are not the only person that is going through this. Many people before you have gone exactly. through it and came out stronger on the other side. And so will you with God's uh, uh, benefit with God's trust and God's grace and your strength and the the effort and the guidance of uh, the your 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 fellow supporters. So, in my example, Chris, and I'm sure this was relevant to you as well, and that's why I want to highlight this point. Don't try to do it all alone. Yeah, we don't have to. We don't have to. God has created a, you know, first and foremost, he said uh, in the Garden of Eden, when there was just the man, you know, and, and, and then God created all, all the animals before him. And then uh, God instructed the man to give all the animals names. And it's funny, is right after he instructed the man to give all the animals names, he says, oh, there's no helper suitable for him. Well, yes. well, thank God, because I sure hate to have to spend the rest of my life with a giraffe. I can't even kiss it. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So True. the guy, so so out of all the animals that were there, he, he realized none of those animals were suitable for the man. So this is when he created the woman. And yes. so, and then he made them to become one. 
Um, and this is what I, I'm going to start working on in my own relationship is is develop helping trying to develop that oneness with my wife. And yes. uh, I'm not going to spring it all on her at once because she'll wonder what's really going on. You know, my motive is just, just trying to be more submissive to her and her needs. You know, to, for me to start practicing being one first. Yeah. You know, before I say, yeah. hey, we should do this. Well, no, I need to learn how to be one first. And so this is is really interesting. But we're not we're not created to be alone. We're not. We're yes. created. So we're social beings. We need each other, regardless of yeah. whether it's a husband, a wife, friends, pastors, mentors, um, or people at church, just general people at church. Um, yeah, I need I need all of them. And that's why we're we're doing this, right? And Chris, thank you so much for your time, for putting your thoughts mm -hmm. together, for sharing your experiences, mm -hmm. and and at maximize you. That's what we are. Why? That's what the why, right? There's right. so much of potential in each of us. So, yep. so let's what maximize I, what, that. Yeah. What I want to close in with is the next uh, next series is actually going to the next portion of the series is going to be a four part series. We're going to start off with my perception. We're going to go back to this model, this simple model of perception, interpretation, attitude and behavior and we're going to look at each uh, element of that of that process individually and what what is what does scripture say about this perception that we have? Um, and we're going to look at that and then we're going to look at the interpretation. We're going to look at the, um, the attitude and we're going to look at the behavior all each, uh, individually, but the next study will be about behavior modification. My perception Your my name is Christopher Harrington. Thank you for taking the time to watch this video, uh, together with, uh, Sal Selly with maximize you. Uh, there's yes. some information there for be below that you can contact us at and, um, Thank you so much yeah. for your time, Sal. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for this opportunity to be able to share uh, my experience and my understanding uh, and the hope that I have uh, that God has given to me and revealed to me in my life with other people. It's really, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge honor. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate it. And folks, as you um, see this recording, we will be posting the slides as well. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out. You can send us an email at coach at maximizeyou.life or reach us out and check us out on the website. And we're really happy to help and, and have a conversation. So, Chris, thank you again. Really appreciate it. And I'm going to stop the recording.